BetCast, Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Hey, MacGeeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for MacGeeks by MacGeeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How are you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you for another week of Apple news, hints, tips, tricks, and all the goings-ons in our little Apple and Macintosh community. How are you doing? Hopefully, are you are having a wonderful time. I guess that's the easier way to say that. I often say <laughs> day, weekend, whatever it might be, because I don't know what time you're listening to this. So it could be evening. Uh, but let's just go with, I hope you're having a great time, whatever you're up to. Glad to be sitting down to go over some of the latest happenings in the Apple world. We've got quite a few things to get into in this episode, but most exciting is new products. I love it when we have new products. Yes, some new stuff came out, and I'm going to be giving you the lowdown on what we have available to us. Um, give you a few of my thoughts and opinions on uh, some of the updates and then also talk about maybe a little bit of what might be next. We might still have some more products before the end of the year. Then we're going to get into some rumors, maybe what's happening with iPads and future iPads and talk about the iPhone market a little bit and how that is doing. And that'll round out the news for this week. Not a lot of news going on, but of course, big, exciting stuff with new products. And then we're going to get into a couple of your questions. I have a question from a listener about uh, text-to-speech, and then I want to get into a little tip about finding things with messages, and that will round out this episode of the MacCast. So it should be a good one. I say we just dive right in with all of those great new Apple products. Apple did quietly announce a few products. Unfortunately, we did not get a keynote as we thought might happen and they just kind of rolled everything out with a press release and that i think is really because they're really just some enhancements to existing products um some updates so not a lot of or i shouldn't say not a lot there's a lot of great things about these products but there's not a lot of new stuff other than some minor updates and enhancements and stuff like that but a lot of them you might really like and i'm excited about a few of them so let's start off with ipads and the entry level ipad so apple announced their 10th generation ipad does have an updated a14 bionic chip and more importantly more ram so you're now going to get four gigabytes of ram in there Uh, It also has an updated larger display. So 10.9 inch liquid retina display up from the two or 10.2 inches rather. And that is thanks to the removal of the home button and thinner bezels. So uh, they're able to enhance the screen size, maintain similar form factor. Um, They did end up moving the touch ID to the side button, just like we have with the iPad Air. So you're not getting face ID on this, but you are getting um, a much larger screen, better screen. Um, the display, a few things to note about it uh, in terms of differences from, say, the 10.9-inch iPad Air is, one, the display is not laminated. Um, so that means there's going to be a little air gap there, and you can sometimes feel that, I think, when you're using, especially like the Apple Pencil or just pressing on it. Also, you know, just the image is not going to be as close to the top of the display as you might see on an iPad Pro or an iPad Air. Uh, it also does not have have the wide color display uh, p3 gamut it is srgb and then it also has does not have the anti-reflective coating like you have on the ipad air so a nice display but not one for one with the ipad air so they're maintaining that little bit of difference although that gap is definitely narrowing um, it does have an ultra wide 12 megapixel camera capable of uh, the center stage And uh, what's interesting about this is this is the first iPad where they have moved the camera from the the portrait position at the top over to landscape. So that's going to be much nicer for doing your video conferencing and things like that. And it is the first and only iPad with with the front facing camera on the landscape side. They did add support for 5G and they ditched the lightning connector for USB-C. Uh, the smart connector on it is in the same place as the previous generation model, so I would 
uh, well, depending upon the size. So it may be questionable whether or not uh, older accessories will work with this. Uh, speaking of accessories, they did add a new Magic Folio keyboard uh, with a whole new design. It has a kickstand and a detachable keyboard so you can keep the back protected and still detach the keyboard, which is really interesting. That keyboard is also the first iPad keyboard with a full function row. And uh, it looks pretty nice, although it does have a pretty hefty price tag coming in at $249 US, which is almost half the price of the iPad itself, as you'll hear about when we get to pricing, because the pricing did go up a little bit as well. Um, the new iPad 10th generation iPad still only supports the original Apple Pencil. And the only bummer about that is because the original Apple Pencil is still US or is still a lightning connector for the charging. If you want to be able to charge from the iPad port itself, uh, charge and sync, then you are going to have to get an adapter, USB-C to lightning adapter that Apple sells. Although sounding right, right now, they might be a little sold out. Um, there are some new colors for the iPad, blue, pink, yellow, and they still have silver. And the price, as I mentioned, was increased from US $329 for the current model up to $449 for the new model, reflective of some of the new enhancements and updates, I would imagine. It is available for order now and will be shipping on October 26th. So that's this upcoming Wednesday, I believe. So all in all, pretty nice update for the iPad. Um, it does bring into question like, you know, what are the main differences between this iPad and say the iPad Air, which is just a little bit more expensive. And the main thing you're going to be gaining with the iPad Air, of course, is still has an M1 chip versus an A-series chip and also uh, the slightly better display specs and support for Apple Pencil 2 versus the original Apple Pencil. But Everything else pretty much remaining the same. Um, the iPad versus iPad Air, that's really going to come down to probably some of your preferences because, again, the price points are similar and it does, you know, some people are commenting that this might create a little bit, a little bit of buyer confusion. You know, do I go with the iPad? Do I go with an iPad Air? And we'll have to wait and see if Apple still has another rev or an update for the iPad Air coming. But right now we're not hearing anything. So kind of feel like the new iPad is a pretty good deal in comparison, unless you really want that M-series processor. But I don't know for most people on a day-to-day -day basis if that's going to make much of a difference or not. Like I said, it's probably going to come down to personal choice, personal preference. Then Apple also did update the iPad Pro line as we expected. Still 11-inch and 12.9-inch iPad Pros design and all that other stuff remains pretty much the same. What we do get is updated M2 processors, so updating from the M1. Apple also did update the Wi-Fi specs, so these new models are going to support the very latest Wi-Fi 6E standards. And um, they did add a cool new update and feature on these with the Apple Pencil. Uh, the Apple Pencil Generation 2 is still supported, um, but on these new iPads, you're going to be able to get a new UI feature where it can detect the pencil hovering above the display and respond to that when it gets close, up to 12 millimeters. And so there's going to be new UI elements and enhancements. Apple has built some of these into their own system. So as you get close, icons can react and different user interface elements can react to kind of indicate, hey, the Apple Pencil is near. And then they are going to provide an API to third-party developers to be able to update their apps to support that as well. So that's kind of cool. And that's coming with iOS or iPadOS uh, 16. Uh, the displays and cameras pretty much remain unchanged from the M1 models. So again, kind of under the hood enhancements here with the new uh, Apple Pencil thing coming, kind of coming into play. Something else to note about the cellular versions of these, although I'm not sure it's going to impact too many people, is that they did drop support for GSM and Edge. Uh, when, you know, so you're going to have LTE and uh, 5G and all that sort of stuff, but older cell technologies are not going to be supported in these new iPads. Um, for both the new 10th generation iPad and these new updated iPad Pros, they are including a new woven one meter USB-C cable in the box. You can also purchase this now separately from Apple if you want to for $19 
US. And as far as pricing on the pro models go, those have remained the same starting at $799 and $1099 respectively for the 11-inch and 12.9-inch models. And you can order the new iPads now. They will be shipping and arriving on October 26th. So that's everything with the new and updated iPads. Apple also did, as expected, update the Apple TV 4K. Uh, This is nice because we have two options now with new lower prices. So they have the 64 gigabyte model, which includes Wi-Fi for US $129 and a 128 gigabyte model with Wi-Fi and Ethernet for $149. So price is coming down a little bit. Both of these offer a new A15 Bionic chip with 4 gigs of RAM. Um, Along with that, Apple has now added support for HDR10 Plus on televisions that support that, along with the existing Dolby Vision support, which we already had. Um, You can now order the Apple TV 4K, and it will be released on November 4th. Now, some interesting things are, aside from the difference in connectivity between the 64 gigabyte model and the 128 gigabyte model is that the larger model is also the only one that will support thread. Um, So that's a new networking standard. Thread is a low power network connection for smart devices uh, that allow mesh networking. And that means devices can directly communicate with each other over low power, not just over Wi-Fi. That is kind of often connected to but a little bit different than matter Um, so a lot of times you'll hear people talk about thread and matter and i kind of want to point this out because i was a little bit confused myself i was worried that maybe um you know both wouldn't get matter support if you've been hearing me talk about matter that's the new interoperability standard supported by apple and amazon and google for home network devices and and Internet of Things devices. It is compatible with HomeKit, and it's going to allow more devices to interoperate with HomeKit. That works over Wi-Fi or Thread. That's being updated in tvOS 16 along with macOS Ventura, iOS 16, and iPadOS. So Matter support will be coming to most modern Apple devices that can run those versions of the operating system, and it can operate over Wi-Fi. The one difference with this new Apple TV 4K 128 gig model is that will also support the thread technology, which means it can do that mesh low power communication thing. So if you're kind of on the fence of which one to get, I think it's really going to come down more to the storage. Um, I'm not sure how big of an advantage thread is going to be over going over Wi-Fi, especially for a plugged in power device like the Apple TV. Um, but we'll have to do a little more research on that. It's just kind of a new and emerging thing. So I'm still trying to figure it out. If you have thoughts and opinions on it, of course, share those with the community, maccast at gmail.com. Some other interesting things about these new models of Apple TV is that they're just a little bit shorter than the old Apple TV 4K, but more than half the weight, and that is likely due to a new fanless design. So they're able to get the fan out of there, I'm assuming enabled by the new A15 processor, And then Apple also dropped the TV label that is imprinted on the top with the Apple logo. So instead of saying Apple TV embossed on the top, you're just going to have simply an Apple logo. Also, uh, some interesting updates on the new Siri remote or the updated Siri remote. It pretty much remains the same in terms of buttons and functionality, but Apple did drop the lightning connector in favor of USB-C, and you're not going to get a USB-C charging cable in the box, so you're going to have to rely on your own for that. So just something to note there. And then Apple did stop selling the Apple TV HD with the release of these new versions. So I think they figure with the new lower pricing um, and uh, more, I think, 4K support out there, 4K and you know potentially 8K in the future, there's no need to kind of have the older model hanging around out there. So I have some thoughts on this one because I was initially pretty excited about the possibility of getting a new 4K Apple TV. And I may may still jump in because I want to play around with the uh, and learn more, like I said, about the thread technology. But I have a current, you know, 4K Apple TV and I'm not so sure 
that uh, the lower prices are enough to get us there. The question remains, is that price low enough to, again, maybe entice someone like myself to update and are the features there? And then also, is it enough to kind of compete with the lower cost devices from, say, Amazon and Roku? And I've always maintained that for Apple, they don't really care. I don't think they're going after low price devices. I, I don't think they're worried about competing with Roku or Amazon. And overall, I think for those of us who are firmly in the Apple ecosystem, so like if you're all in on Apple, like I am, I only have Apple devices. I only want HomeKit support for my home automation, all those sorts of things. Um, The Apple TV offers a lot more features and functionality with the apps and all those sorts of things. Also gaming and Apple Arcade and, and just a bunch of extra features as we've talked about in past MacCasts that offer, I think, a better user experience, better UI, um, just better integration overall. And I think those things are worth the little bit of extra cost that you pay to get an Apple TV. If, you know, price is the only thing you care about and you don't care about a lot of the other Apple integrated features, you really just want to stream TV shows, then yeah, getting a, getting a cheaper Amazon or Roku device like a stick or something like that might work for you because those do have the Apple TV app available on them and they are lower cost. But I think the type of person who's buying an Apple TV is interested in a little bit more than that. And that's kind of my opinion. Still, analyst Ming-Chi Kuo thinks that Apple could go further with the pricing. He thinks that a $99 price point would be the sweet spot uh, for Apple selling Apple TVs. I 100% agree with that. I think if Apple could get down back down to a $99 price point, they'd sell a ton of Apple TVs and maybe could even convince some people who are thinking about lower cost devices to spend a little bit more on an Apple TV. Um, and he does think Apple will get there maybe with the next generation of the Apple TV. But I don't know. Will that be too little too late? Again, I don't. I think these are different markets, in my opinion, that uh, Apple's going after. And I think they're perfectly happy to let someone who wants to pay less, you know, get into Apple services and, and Apple TV Plus on a lower cost device. But somebody who's really all in on Apple is really going to probably opt for the Apple TV. And I think, you know, 129 is not so far over 99 that it's really going to stop those types of consumers. But that's really just my opinion. So I'd love to know what you think about that. Uh, shoot me some feedback. Send me an email, maccast at gmail.com. And that was pretty much it for all of the new products that Apple released this week. Now, looking towards the future, we are expecting, as we've talked about a few times here on the MacCast, some Mac updates still to come out this year. They are likely still coming with M2 updates expected for the Mac Mini, M2 Pro, and Max updates expected for the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros. If you want more details on those, go back and listen to past episodes of the MacCast. We've been covering a lot of features and enhancements that are being expected there. In terms of timing, though, most think that we will get an announcement soon. I believe that possibly in early November. That seems to time out about right, unless Apple surprises us and says something this week, but that hasn't really been in the rumors. And the products are probably going to be available mid to late November, in my estimation. That's just my pure speculation and thoughts on that. Mark Gurman also mentioned in his latest newsletter that Apple is currently testing new M2 Ultra and M2 Extreme chips that will be two and four times more powerful than the M2 Max chips. These would be the processors that are expected to go in an updated Mac Pro. Interesting, we haven't heard anything about updates to the Mac Studio, though. But we are expecting a new Mac Pro model. Uh, Likely won't be out till sometime next year, I would guess in the back half of next year. Um, But definitely might be worth the wait if these configurations turn out to be true. Because German is saying that Apple is going to offer 24 and 48 CPU cores with 76 and 152 graphics cores, along with up to 256 gigabytes of memory. So if you are in the pro market and you have massive requirements for processing power, it's looking like Apple is going to deliver that with these new Mac Pros. And again, expected sometime in 2023. I do find it interesting that we haven't heard much about potential updates to the Mac Studio. I know it's not that old, but usually you think in the rumor mills, we start getting those, uh, you know, few months after the initial release of those products. But uh, yeah, we don't hear about them too much in the in the news cycle. So I'm kind of curious about that now that I'm thinking about it. what do you think about that? 
But that's kind of the latest on what's happening with Apple products. Looking toward the future, foldables are a thing that comes up from time to time in our little community, usually around smartphones because Samsung has a few models out there on the market. And so we've heard about Apple looking into foldables before, and now we are hearing it again, this time from Ben Wood, who is a chief of research at CCS Insight. He told CNBC that Apple would more likely do a foldable iPad before they do an iPhone. And that's because Wood thinks that Apple wouldn't want to risk any issues with a foldable iPhone that could affect their reputation. And he also believes that a foldable iPhone is going to be incredibly expensive. He's predicting that when Apple does a foldable phone, it could have a price tag as high as US $2,500. Um, that seems a little bit out there to me, a little bit extreme. I don't know that we're going to get to that place, but maybe within the time frame that uh, that Benwood is kind of predicting. In the short term, he thinks that Apple could work out the tech on an iPad. It would be a little bit less risky for them and predicts that Apple could release a foldable iPad by 2024. So just in a couple of years, he believes a foldable iPhone could happen by 2025. Uh, he also reiterated that Apple has been experimenting uh, with larger foldable displays. This is something we've heard in the past, up to 20 inches, and that they're likely to be more focused on a larger device, at least initially, like an iPad or a laptop. We've heard similar reports like this from analysts like display analyst Ross Young and Ming-Chi Kuo for years the only place they seem to all disagree is on the timeline. I think Quo has been the most bullish on Apple releasing a foldable iPhone. I think he kind of had an initial time frame of maybe 2024, maybe even 2023, if I'm remembering correctly. But 2024 is probably more likely. And I don't even think possibly by then because... Apple is battling some of the biggest barriers, in their opinion, with folding tech, which are the lack of dust resistance, which causes a lot of problems for existing foldable displays on the market. Dust and dirt gets under there and your display starts to look nasty and cruddy. And then you also have that ever so slight but still present crease crack, right? You've got a flexible display and as you fold it, you do start to see or you can slightly see the crease even in the modern versions of the devices. Most people feel like it's really minimal and doesn't matter too much. It's a good trade-off to get the foldable tech. But I think, you know, Apple's attention to detail kind of won't let them get there, at least with the current technology. So they're going to have to try and figure out something else. And that's why it could take, I think, a few more years before we see Apple getting into the foldable market. But again, what do you think? Are you interested in foldable iPads? iPads, foldable iPhones with the current technologies, or do we need to get someplace else with something better? You know, we've seen hinge designs with kind of two displays where it's not a seamless display. I don't know that that's the ideal solution. Uh, I don't know that, you know, foldable is something that I'm really clamoring for myself. But again, I've never had a foldable phone. So those of you out there who have maybe played around with foldables, weigh in on your opinion, maccast at gmail.com. And then finally, in the news for this week, we have a little bit of news on the current smartphone market. This is due to latest data from Canalys, and they show that Apple's iPhone is the only device to buck the current downward trend in sales growth of global of the global smartphone market. Apple was the only company in the top five to see year-on-year -year sales growth, according to the report. This is for the third quarter of 2022. They say overall the market saw about a 9% drop in sales. But in that same period, Apple saw its global market share increase from 15% to 18%. So people still really loving and grooving on the iPhone with the new iPhone 14 models proving to be very popular, especially the pro versions. As we know, Apple is struggling a little bit more with the iPhone models and specifically the iPhone plus seems to be not selling quite as well to the tune where we even heard some things this week that Apple may have pulled back or at least told one supplier for iPhone 14 plus parts to kind of halt for now until they can uh, catch up with demand or I guess really the opposite until, until demand can catch up with uh, with the production of parts. 
And then uh, YouTube YouTuber John Prosser says in a new video that the next iPhone SE will look a lot like the iPhone XR. And again, this is something I think he said before and we maybe even talked about. This time around, he kind of gave a little more details, specifically that we're going to see a larger display, no home button, smaller be- smaller bezels, and Face ID, uh, potentially Face ID. I guess Apple could go with the whole side button touch ID thing to maybe save a little bit of money. But all of these statements kind of match up with statements recently made from other analysts, including display analyst Ross Young, who said the new iPhone SE would have a notch and a 6.1-inch display. And this was all based, all of these rumors are really following on, rather, a statement made by Ming-Chi Kuo way back when. So a lot of people really like that iPhone XR design. It'll be nice to see the SE kind of bump up into that world and kind of get Apple into a similar design language across the board. Although, you know, the new more modern Pro phones are still going to have that kind of squared off edge where that iPhone XR has the whole rounded design to it as well. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show sponsors, starting off with Simply Safe. You know, if you've thought about protecting your home with security but have been waiting for the right time, you're going to want to listen up right now. Listeners of the MacCast can get 40% off Simply Safe's award winning home security system. Not only was Simply Safe named the best home security of 2022 by US News and World Report, I use and trust Simply Safe to protect my home and family. Because at Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. A couple of my favorite things about Simply Safe are the ease of setup and the flexibility of the system. You're able to self-install the system with ease, and they offer a wider range of sensors so you can easily build and adapt the system to your home, something that I was able to do when I moved and needed to cover a larger space. And I really did appreciate that because I could simply add on to my system and have it grow with me. When a threat is detected, Simply Safe's monitoring professionals promptly contact you and dispatch first responders to your home, even if you're away or unable to respond. 24-7 professional monitoring costs just under $1 a day. That's less than half the cost of ADT's traditional professional installed plans. And Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with sensors for every room, window, and door. HD security cameras for inside and outside your home. Smarter ways to detect motion that alert you when a threat is real. And even hazard sensors that instantly detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. Their monitoring experts use proprietary advanced response technology to visually confirm when a break-in is real so you get the highest priority police dispatch. Don't miss this chance to save big when you protect your home with the best. Get 40% off your order when you visit simplysafe.com slash maccast today. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes. That's simplysafe.com slash maccast there's no safe like Simply Safe. And a big thank you to them for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I know one issue we fight with in our family is meal planning. Almost every night we have a discussion about what do you want for dinner, and it's not fun. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. We really appreciate the ease and convenience HelloFresh brings to our meal prep. Each meal and Its ingredients comes packed in its own bag, which is really nice and convenient. You don't have to hunt for the ingredients for your meal. And all the ingredients are pre-portioned and ready to go when it's time to cook, which makes it go nice and quickly. It's really good when you're you're hungry and just want to eat. Plus, the included meal cards are really, really great. They're super easy to follow, step-by-step, and even include a breakout of all the tools and utensils that you're going to need to prepare your meal. It makes it convenient 
and super easy. Plus, with the cards, when you find a favorite recipe, it's easy to keep track of it and to be able to make it again if you want. Our family is trying to eat healthier and also has some dietary restrictions, and HelloFresh makes that easy as well. They offer low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, and pescatarian options every week. Plus, it's easy to change your delivery days or food preferences, and you can skip a week whenever you need. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MacCast65 and use the code MacCast65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MacCast65 to get started with America's number one meal kit. And a big thank you to HelloFresh for their support of the show. Jim wrote in this week to ask a question about text-to-speech services. He basically said, hey, look, the services add to music spoken track option, while good adds the audio file to the music app, and I don't want it in my music library. Is there another workflow that doesn't add the file to the music library? And for those of you who might not know what Jim is talking about, if you're on the Mac and you select some text or you have a text document, you can go under the services menu and there is an add music as spoken track option that will take that text, convert it to speech to an audio file, and then put that in your music library. And then you have to kind of go grab it, take it out of there, sync it, whatever you want to do with it. And he's looking for more of an option to put it wherever he wants on his Mac. And, um, As with many things on the Mac or even on iOS these days, if there is a workflow that you need that's very specific to how you want to do things, more and more the answer is the Shortcuts app. And Jim, you know, I think that's going to be your best option. You might be able to find a third-party app to do it. But hey, if you can do it yourself and kind of build it the way you want, why not? And I know Shortcuts kind of scares a lot of people but it actually is pretty easy. And a lot of times when I get questions like this, like this one from Jim, what I do is I pop open the shortcuts app and I just try and figure out, hey, can I actually build the workflow to meet this need? And that's that's exactly what I did uh, when I got your question, Jim. And turns out, yep, you can do it. Um, I wasn't able to perfect it yet, and that's probably because I'm not a shortcuts expert, but I'm hoping maybe someone in the community can take the basis of what I built and maybe build something better. So just to get everybody familiar with pretty much how simple and easy this is, and it is a lot easier than you think, I thought I'd walk you through the steps that I used to actually get this workflow built. And I even took my workflow and I shared it with Jim back on email. So Jim, hopefully that's working out with you and feel free to tweak it however you want if you want to to get it a little more customized to meet your needs. But starting at a real high level, if you want to build a shortcut or if you want to get kind of into how to build shortcuts with the shortcut app, I think the first thing you need to know is you have to think about it. And and this is the best analogy I've ever received. Think about it like writing your own recipe, right? So what you're going to do is you're going to have ingredients. You're going to have a list of ingredients. And those are kind of like the steps and individual actions. And then you're going to take those ingredients and you're going to combine them in the right order, the right series of steps to create your meal or your outcome, or in this case, your workflow. So you search and find within categories, your different ingredients or individual actions, and then combine them in a specific order, series of steps to get your workflow. And it really is kind of that simple. Now, a lot of times you're going to have a little trial and error, figuring out the right order and stuff like that. And that's maybe where it's a little bit difficult, but it's also kind of where In my mind, it's a little bit fun. So for this workflow, let's just use this workflow as an example. So Jim said, hey, I want to be able to, and I think this is a good place to start too, is, you know, think about the problem and the desired solution. So in his case, it's like, I want to be able to take text input from somewhere, and I want to be able to convert that to an audio file. So we've got one, get the text, two, Convert that to an audio file. So take the text and make it a spoken audio file. And then three, I want to be able to save that audio file to my Mac. Okay, so we start there. So I opened up the Shortcuts app and I thought, well, what's the first thing I want to do? I want to get text. So I went into search 
the available actions or steps and I just searched for get text and lo and behold there's an option called get text from input so I drag that in as my first step and when I add that I do get some options of where to get the input from and the type of input that I'm looking for so here I just clicked on the options and I see that I can set the input to text and for the from option I can adjust that in the settings panel which is the little icon on the right of the interface and again I'm using shortcuts on the Mac so it'll be a little bit different on iOS but pretty much the same kinds of steps and in this case I know that I want to use a quick action and I want to use the services menu for the Mac and then on iOS I want to choose the show and share sheet option for iPhone and iPad so you'll see this in the settings there you can kind of pick how you want your input to work and you could take input from the clipboard there's there's lots of different options you can play around with but in this case Jim had specifically said hey I want to use the services menu so that's a quick action and we're going to use the services menu on the Mac and so from the get text from step it's going to automatically insert the shortcut input as what it's receiving so we'll get the input from the quick action in this case it's going to be a text selection or text from the clipboard and there actually is a a backup option for those those input settings in case uh you know you don't have a text selection um so there's an option called if there's no input what do you want to do and in my case i set that to get clipboard so get the contents of the clipboard but you have a bunch of different options there you can just continue you can you can do a few things so again there is going to be some places where you might have to play around with this a little bit but overall you drop in your first step you configure some of the options and then you're going to take the input from one step do some action on it and then send that off to the next step so in this case the next step that i know that i want to do is i want to convert the text to speech so this time I searched for speech and the option or action that came up was make spoken audio from text it's like perfect that's exactly what I want to do so I take that I drop that into my workflow and it automatically takes my takes my text input from my previous get text step and then by clicking the show more option in this step I can choose some different settings for how I want to convert the text to speech so there's options there for the voice I want to use I can adjust the rate and I can adjust the pitch options options however I like to convert that audio and so that was my second step so then the last step that I want to do or the last thing that I want to do if you remember what we talked about earlier is I want to save that file so I went back I searched for the actions in the actions for save and lo and behold there's a save file action so I drag that save file action in and um, its options default to ask where to save the file if you uncheck this you're gonna have to hard set a path but I think for this workflow it'd be best to leave that set to ask because that way you can tell it wherever you want to save the file if you want to save it to your desktop if you want to save it to a specific folder on your Mac you'll get those options when this workflow runs there's also an option to overwrite duplicate files so if you were to have a file with the same name it would duplicate it we'll talk about that file name here in a second um, but there I had my you know three simple steps I suddenly have my workflow now before you actually start using your work workflow for real you can actually test it inside the shortcuts app so in this case I selected some some text and I copied it to my clipboard because I have that fallback option that says if I don't get the text input from um, the actions menu go ahead and just use what's on the clipboard so I copied that text to the clipboard I pressed the play button in the shortcuts app to run my shortcut and lo and behold it converted the text it to audio it asked me where do I want to save it in this case I saved it on my desktop and then I had an audio file that I could play back and it was the text-to-speech audio now when I went to look at it on my desktop I noticed that I got a .caf file and I wasn't familiar with the CAF format so I went and did some searching online turns out it stands for core audio format for me that's not 100% compatible maybe with all the places I want to take my audio it sort of works I can play the file and I'm sure it would work on Mac and iOS 
But I thought, you know, I want to do a little bit more with this. Let me add one more step. And then I'm bringing this up to show you how easy it is to slot in an additional step as you're doing your testing. So in my case, I thought, hey, I want to convert the audio to a different format. So I, again, went back to my actions. I searched for audio, and it turns out there's an there's an encode media step, which I believe is probably driven by QuickTime. Looked like I had a QuickTime logo. Anyway, I grabbed that action and I drug it into my workflow and I added that step between my make spoken audio step and my save step. So I'm going to go from, you know, converting the text to speech as spoken audio and then I'm going to take that result and I am going to encode that into another format and then I'm going to save it. So it takes the spoken audio result and then outputs that to the save step. And for the encode media, when I toggled open the show more options, there was a checkbox for audio only. So I knew in this case, I'm only dealing with audio. So I checked that. And then once I checked that, I had different uh, format options. So format options were M4A, which is the one that I wanted to use, or you know MPEG4 audio, basically. And there's also an option for AIFF if you want um, non-encrypted audio. But in this case, smaller file was something I was going for. So I picked that option, tested it again, and boom, I got the result I wanted. This time, instead of a CAF file or a core audio file, I got an M4A audio file. And uh, you know I'm able to save it wherever I want. So that was great. And then once I had that shortcut saved, um, because I use iCloud and syncing, it's also available, um, again, in the share menu on my iOS devices. So I can now use the shortcut on my Mac or on iOS. So that worked out great. I can save it wherever I want. And um, it is the shortcut that I was looking for. So that's really cool. Like I said earlier, you can also share your shortcuts. So I shared my shortcut with... Um, with Jim. And the way you can do that is you select your shortcut in the shortcuts app and you can share them via iCloud. Uh, you will need to have an iCloud account for this, but uh, you go under files, share, and then there should be an option for copy iCloud link. And then you can share that iCloud link. I'll actually have um, my link in the show notes at maccast.com. I called mine convert text to audio, but you can actually really give, give it whatever name you want. And um, you can even set these up to be triggered with the Siri, which is pretty cool. So that's how uh, you can kind of build your own shortcut, Jim. Now, the one thing that I'm going to throw out to the community that I need a little bit of help with or would like a little bit of help with is one thing I couldn't figure out how to do was change the file name of this audio file. What it seems to do is take the first few characters from the text that you send it to, and it uses that as the file name, which is a little bit ugly in my opinion. I played around with some of the rename options and actions and stuff like that, and I, I could ultimately get it to rename the file after I saved it to the files app, but it had weird permission issues and stuff like that, so it, it never worked out the way I really wanted it to. So I'm going to throw it out to someone in the, in the community. If you can figure out how to take this workflow and get it so that you can give it a file name that you want it to save the file as, that would be awesome. I don't know if it's possible, but play around with it. So there sometimes are little nuances to shortcuts that can be a little bit tricky, but I think you can see overall, it's pretty easy to build your own actions and workflows. So I hope, again, we've covered this a few times, but I hope this helps open up shortcuts to a few more people and maybe gets you in the mind frame of, hey, yeah, maybe I can do that. Let me give that a try. And good luck. And Jim, I hope this uh, workflow helps get you uh, exactly what you're looking for. I guess the last thing to ask the community is, you know, I, I know we did this with a workflow. Is there a third-party app or a plugin or an extension or something for Mac that would allow you to do this uh, as well? If you know about a, a tool like that, let us know, maccast at gmail.com. And then the last thing that I have for you today is something that came from Andy. Andy wrote me via email and said, hey, I was helping a neighbor set up a new Apple device for, and they were moving from Android to iOS. And I started to wonder a bit about messages and how messages are backed up. And if you turn on messages in the cloud, 
everything in your messages is backed up and synced via iCloud. And messages in iCloud is end-to-end encrypted, so your messages can't be accessed from iCloud on the web. You have to actually use the app, and Apple or anyone else can't access them online. Now, that's kind of a broad blanket statement. I will point out something to be aware of for those of you who are potentially more security conscious. For messages in iCloud, if you use iCloud Backup, so if you have iCloud Backup turned on on your device, your backup, your iCloud Backup, includes a copy of the key, the private key that's protecting your messages. The reason this is done is it ensures that you can recover your messages even if you lose access to your keychain and your trusted devices. But it does mean that if someone were to get access to your iCloud backup, they would have access to that key. So that is something to be aware of. If you don't like that, uh, you're going to have to turn off iCloud backup, which you know me, I'm a big fan of backup. So (laughs) it's a little bit of a catch-22, but you have to turn off iCloud backup. When you do that, a new key is generated on your device and that is used to protect future messages and is not stored by Apple and not stored in iCloud. Um, so if you do that, you're going to want to back up locally and you can set this up on your Mac using the device selection in the Finder. And I would recommend there encrypting your backups if you save them locally so that it will allow your backups to save and store your passwords and sensitive data, things like your health data. And just know that, you know, when you're backing up locally, you have to make sure that it's either backing up over Wi-Fi or that you physically connect your device to your Mac to get that going. So just something to be aware of. But if you turn on messages in iCloud, getting back to Andy's original question, yes, your messages are going to be backed up and saved in iCloud. And when looking at all of this, Andy also tried out messages search and he said to me hey have you if you've never tried out searching in messages you should check it out because it's actually pretty cool and i totally agree and i don't know if you've ever played around with searching in messages but messages has some really great ways to find and uh and access especially things like attachments or shared links or photos and all those sorts of things so when you search in uh, in the Messages app and you get that by pulling down to access the search bar, you know, one of those hidden UI features that Apple does on iOS where you don't get a search bar, bar by default, but if you just swipe down, you'll see the search bar. But once the search bar comes up, uh, in addition to search, you get a bunch of helpful sections for things like recent conversations, uh, groups of links, photos, locations, documents that have been shared with you, and it's all right there, easily accessible. And that is really, really cool. And so you can do that kind of globally, but it's also available to you um, when you're in a conversation or a group conversation. And I find this particularly helpful because my family has like a group conversation going and, you know, my kids and wife are sharing photos and links and all kinds of stuff with me all the time. And sometimes it can be hard to just like scroll through the entire conversation to find that specific photo or link. So if you actually access that conversation within the messages app by tapping on the person or the group at the top of the message thread, then you can see the photos, links, documents, and locations that have been shared within that conversation, which is really, really neat. And within each one of those groups, you can actually tap the see all to see a full list. So if you have an ongoing thread that just has a ton of photos, you'll see the most recent photos that have been shared, but you can also tap on the, uh, on the share or show all to see all the photos that have been shared within that thread. And what's nice about the photos that's kind of fun is you can tap the select button at the top and you can choose any photos that you want to save to your local photo library and you can save them pretty quickly and easily, which is really, really neat because I often do get the question from folks to say, how can I, you know, save those photos Um, so that I have a copy of them so that they're not just living in the Messages app. Although I do know a lot of people, my daughters included, that just kind of have a massive photo library that just lives in Messages as well. Oftentimes their, their Messages photo library or their message storage can be larger than their photo storage, which is just mind boggling to me, but I guess that's how the younger generation does it. Um, one other thing that I think is really cool that you might want to check out two is in the photos app itself and actually a few different apps 
Apple has the new shared with you feature that they added in iOS 15. You need to enable this. Um, you enable it by going into settings, messages shared with you, and then you can turn on sharing for different apps and different programs, including photos. And what happens if you have shared with you turned on is when you go to the for you tab in a lot of these, a lot of these apps, or if you're in Safari, for example, when you're on your kind of a new welcome screen bookmark thing, um, you get all of the shared links that are coming from messages. So you can enable this for books, music, news, podcasts, Safari, and the TV app, and then some third-party apps support it as well. And so when you go into the For You tab, say, for example, in Photos, you can scroll down and you'll see a new Shared With You section when this is turned on, and then any photos that have been shared with you from anybody in your contacts, and I guess that's the other thing you need to know, the, the person sharing it does need to be in your contacts, um, you will see the documents and links and photos and everything that they shared with you all within the app. And once again, too, you can, for example, in the Photos app, you can select those and you can save those back into your photo library pretty quickly and easily. So it's kind of a cool way to kind of centralize everything that's coming in through messages because so many of us communicate almost solely through messages these days, um, more and more, even more so than email. Uh, so just some few things to be aware of. And um, thank you, Andy, for kind of pointing out the search feature and messages, it really got me thinking about some of these other features and stuff like that. So I appreciate your email. But with that, that is going to do it for the show for this week. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple show supporters. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. You'll find them at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-I-AM-9. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on... Oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> if you need show notes, links to anything we've talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you can find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.